0: Italian Wine Podcast, a wine-to-wine Business Forum 2021 media partner, is proud to present a series of sessions highlighting the key themes and ideas from the two-day event held on October the 18th and 19th. 2021. This hybrid edition of the Business Forum was jam-packed with the most informed speakers discussing some of the hottest topics in the wine industry today. For more information, please visit wine2wine.net and tune in every Thursday at 2pm Central European Time for more episodes recorded during this latest edition of wine to wine Business Forum.
1: Okay. Good evening, everybody. Welcome. Everybody knows JC, or the ones that doesn't know JC well. Let me tell you, I'm I'm very proud because JC just became Veronese. It's uh, now proudly belongs to the Veronese populations yes. since uh, a year now, yes, since nearly a year. Yes. And JC has been a longtime friend when he was living in Hong Kong, and I was lucky enough to travel that part of the world and meet him regularly. So JC, of course, it's a WSET level four. It's a certified educational educa- educator of WSET, Vinitaly ambassador, Vinitaly academy ambassador, to mention just few. Managing editor of Spirito Divino Asia
0: before. Yes.
1: before. And uh, I know this is sounds a little bit trivial, but he's also representing the Ordine del Tartufo di Alba in Hong Kong, which is a big thing.
0: Yes, and, and, um, and now in Verona.
1: And now in Verona, and JC consult with many consortiums, It has been a great ambassador of wines altogether, but especially Italian wines. So he is a very passionate person. I had, uh, again, the, the fortune to work with him uh, while I was uh, president of the Consorzio della Policella. And we did some events back in Hong Kong. And we always been working very proudly with him. So, JC, let me go right to the point. Yes. I'm frustrated because many Italian wineries are frustrated about the Chinese market. Yes. And um, with all due respect, we know that China is an extremely difficult market. It's very variable. Uh, there are... Of course, cultural language gap for us. And we represent only what six, seven percent market share. Yes. Now so it's about this. It's, six and seven. Uh, right. So he's, uh, is uphill for us. And I understand that. But, but I'm very frustrated from the point that there are not enough China, uh, Italian wineries believing in the Chinese market. Yes. There are not enough Italian wineries focusing on China. I know personally maybe 10, 12 brand ambassadors that are placed in China to work for Italian wineries and no more. While we know very well the French and even Americans or other countries are at plenty. So what we have done wrong, (laughs) because Italians has been trying to break the market for years and we never, we never passed the point of six, seven percent, whatever it is. So what we have done wrong, JC, help us to get the frustration (laughs) out of the way.
0: Well, well. first of all, I want to say thank you for these kind words, but I also have to say kind words because I'm particularly happy when Stevie uh, declared that um, Andrea was going to be the moderator of this uh, uh, session because I have deep respect for Andrea for the work he's doing with Sartori in China. In fact, those five secrets I will talk about are things that I saw uh, Sartori doing very well in China, and so therefore it's uh, it's it's quite appropriate that you're the moderator, but also because you're I consider you a friend and a mentor here in Verona. So I'm quite proud to share the the moment together. Uh, when we say that uh, Italy has five between six and seven percent market share, we are talking about the market share of import wines. Now, we have to understand that import wines is only 35% of the total consumption in China. So 6% of 35%, we're talking very little uh, total market share. We're talking maybe 2% market share of the entire market. So it's very, very little. And uh, so why some brands like the French uh, country is more uh, successful than Italians, I think it has something to do with what I called cultural empathy. Cultural empathy. Um, the French are very, very strong when it comes to understanding protocol, understanding the cultural uh, particularities of the countries they travel to and and they sell to. And this is what I want to, to tell you uh, what I learned uh, in China. So those five little secrets, I believe that the French understand them very well. And perhaps uh, in Italy, we need to uh, learn a little bit better uh, how to to proceed in the market. Now you can hear my French accent, but I'm actually from Montreal, I'm from Canada. I'm not French uh, uh, as such. And this is a very, very big difference. But even so...
1: (laughs) You don't speak French, you speak... Québécois.
0: Québécois. Voilà. Je suis Québécois. <laughs> but um what I want to say is that for me I in this photo you see me I was 23 years old when I arrived to China and I lived in China 27 years and so uh, does that make me uh, Canadian anymore and so this is a difficult question that I'm debating in my own uh, self these days but what we have to understand is that uh, in 1993 when I arrived to China uh, things were very, very different than what they are today. And going there, uh, like I was going to visit factories in China to source some products for my own business that I was uh, beginning at that moment. And going to China was a totally different planet. It was not even a different country. It was a totally, totally different planet. It was really unbelievable. And so um, for me, uh, my experience in China has always has been tremendously uh, uh, eye-opening. I discovered so many, many things, and this is what I want—I want to share uh, with you in this presentation. Uh, before we start going into the details, um, we have to put things in perspective. Of course, we we listen to the media, we watch the news, we see these beautiful photos of Shanghai. You have been to Shanghai many times. Uh, and and it's a very very impressive city very modern very very impressive but china still today is a developing country it is not a mature economy china is a developing country when we speak about developing country maybe we think of uh, uh um the, the the most unfortunate part of the world, we see very very poor people. But actually, China is a developing country. What does that mean? It means that most of its institutions are still not mature. They are still not well organized. Most of its uh, most sectors of the economy are not mature. So it means that human resources are also not mature. And it means that consumer behavior in China is not mature. Um, We see on this picture the comparison between Italy and China on a per capita basis. In China today, uh, per capita gross national index, the gross national income, uh, is 10,000 euros. But in Italy, the gross national income is 34,000 euros. So we can see there's a huge difference uh, in terms of uh, development. And so this is very important to put things in perspective because uh, we cannot approach China as we would America, Canada, Northern Europe. And we have to understand that it's very much a developing country. The first key, the first insight, the first secret that I talk a lot about, and people think I'm a conspiracy theorists, but I am not, actually. Because the first key is Wei Wen. Wei Wen. Uh, my accent is uh, French, as you can hear. I can barely speak English. And so you can imagine that I really don't speak Chinese. And so the way I pronounce it is wrong. But anyway, Wei Wen. Wei Wen means social stability social stability. Why am I talking about this? Because this is the core policy of the Chinese government, is social stability, to ensure uh, that uh, everything is proceeding according to order. And is it because the Chinese government is authoritarian, a dictatorship? No. We have to remember that in China, there is a lot of people, a lot of people, This is a photo I took um, one year. This was the week before Chinese New Year. Chinese New Year happens every year in February, January, depending on the moon. And there's this massive, massive movement of people. People travel to their hometown to celebrate the Chinese New Year with their parents, their family, and they return back to the south to work in factories. And this massive uh, movement of people is very representative of something much more important. 1.4 billion people in China. This is huge. But what we have to think is in 1993, when I arrived to China, um 66% of the population, 66% of the population was living on $2 a day. $2 a day. So what does that mean? It means that this is. Um, the poverty level. This is basically people not having running water in their house. This is basically people not having enough income to feed themselves properly. So in 1993, when I arrived, 66% of the population lived on $2 a day. Today, 30 years later, only 0.5% of the population live on $2 a day. So this is a huge movement out of poverty. The government has succeeded a tremendous task of making their population richer, more wealthy, of course, but uh, more comfortable with basic basic need. And this is very much related to the concept of food security. And this graph is very interesting. This is what we call the uh, livestock production indexed. Why is it interesting this graph? because it tells us how self sufficient a country is for their food and what we could see is that actually china has surpassed italy in terms of its self sufficiency in in it and it means because this graph you can see that the numbers are above 100 it means that now china is a net exporter of food so they started in 1993 at a very very low level and then they eventually were able to make themselves self-sufficient, which is very, very important. And why am I showing you, showing you this? And this has very important implication for the wine industry. Because as the middle class is growing in China, uh, more and more the, of the middle class want to drink alcohol. And as you know very well, and you must know very well, that uh, the alcohol of choice in China today is what we call Maotai and Maotai is a grain spirit. So what do you do with grain? You make bread. Bread is a food staple in China. uh, uh, They also make spirit from rice. Rice is also a food uh, food staple in China. So therefore, the Chinese government is very worried that uh, as the middle class grow, they will start drinking more spirit made from grain, and then the price of grain will go out of control. The supply of grain will be used for making spirit rather than making bread. And this is very dangerous for social stability. So therefore, the Chinese government for the last 20, 25 years have spent a lot, a lot of effort to build a grape wine industry. This is why in China, we hear the news today, ah, the wine industry of China is growing. The wine industry of China is becoming more and stronger, better. But in reality, that's because they want to give confidence to the middle class to drink wine rather than drink grain spirit. And this is very, very important. That means it gives us big opportunities in China. Okay? But um, as the consumption of wine increases the chinese government want to control that consumption so in the future they are most likely to continue limiting the amount of import of wine into china so it means that selling wine into china will be much more difficult than it is today and so this will increase the frustration of uh, andrea because he will say to me ah jc you are discouraging italians from going to china no, I'm saying that if we want to go to China, we need to go in there with more sophisticated approach. We need to have a better strategy, and we need to understand how to do the things. Which brings me to my point number two, which is Gambe. Gambe is uh, bottoms up, is dried cup. So in China, I remember very well that people love to toast. Gambé, dry the cup. Gambé, dry the cup. I remember very well I was on the plane from London to Hong Kong in 1993 when I moved to Hong Kong. And I was reading a book on the etiquette in China. What to do and what not to do. And I remember a whole chapter was written on the consumption of alcohol. And the first paragraph was, never drink alcohol alone. Never drink alcohol alone. In China, there is this culture of Gambe that is very important. So if you're going to drink something, you have to say cheer to somebody. Cheer, Andrea. Then we can drink. Cheer, we can drink. Cheer, we can drink. If we don't do this, we are seen to be very impolite. Not only impolite, but very rude to our host, to our guests. And so therefore, the culture of Gambe is very, very important. But the culture of Gambe with with spirit, with tiny little cup, like this so imagine what happened when we serve them wine in a glass this big and people say dry the cup and so they dry the cup gambe drink the whole glass the whole glass of wine and at the end of the evening they are not very happy to drink this very tannic red wine and one glass after another after another And this was the culture of wine at the beginning. So they don't really mm, drink wine for the wine appreciation. Spirits is a way to socialize. Wine drinking should be a way to socialize. And so this is very, very important. That has tremendous implication. If we want to sell wine in China, we need to understand this culture of Gambé. We need to understand that alcohol consumption is uh, a kind of a, Uh, to grease the wheel of relationship building, basically. But Gambe culture is also related to something very important. is that of the annual disposable income. In China today, in 1993 when I arrived, think of it. The disposable income is the income you have available to spend the things on the things you want, okay? Not the things you need. You need food, Okay but you don't need wine, you want wine. So therefore the Chinese in 1993 had an annual income, disposable income of 190 euros per person per year. That's very little. What do you do with, 90, with 190 euros? You buy some bubble gum, maybe a pack of potato chips. Okay, you don't need potato chips, you want them. So this is all you can do. But today, this average disposable income in China is five thousand euro per person, five thousand euro per person per year. So, how can we expect uh, Chinese people today to drink wine every day? It's it's not for them. It's not a need. It's want. And when we speak about a need versus a want, a want is a luxury. So, therefore, I really. Mm, have been advocating for five years already in this forum at wine to wine that we need to approach China with a luxury marketing approach. What does that mean? We need to sell wine as a desire, a dream. We need to sell wine as a product of prestige. We cannot sell wine as uh, we would uh, uh, here in Italy, that we drink every day, Wine becomes a need. We put it on the table. We don't even think about it. But in China, no. For them, buying wine is like buying luxury. So we need to have a luxury marketing approach. And I think, Sartori, you're doing this very well. You are selling the lifestyle of wine, which is what we need to do uh, uh, in China. We need to sell a lifestyle, not wine. So let's sell less wine and more dreams, more desire, more lifestyle. And this is very, very important because the per capita income is still very, very low in China. The third concept, okay, so we have learned now until now about social stability. Now we understand that the Chinese government uh, want to um, favor the grape wine industry, but they will control this grape wine industry because they want to make sure they control uh, the industry. They don't let the uh, imports dominate the market. It will never happen. We understand the culture of Gambey. Now we enter something much more sophisticated, that of Guangxi. Guangxi, if you look at the word, guan means the gate. Xi si means the link. Guangxi is the link to the gate, the access to the gate. Okay. What does that mean is that you can get access via your network. If you have a good network, if you have a good Guangxi, Guangxi are the people in Hong Kong call this the bamboo network, is all of the complex system of relationships that you have built over the years. It is this network that will help you to enter into uh, 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 different uh, uh, places where you need to sell your products, etc. So Guangxi is absolutely key. But Guangxi is a dy- dynamic process. Guangxi is actually a reciprocal obligation. Many people in the West think that Guangxi is corruption. So when the Chinese government felt a crackdown on corruption, they think they were, uh, many in the West think that the Chinese government was cracking down on Guangxi. No, they were cracking down on uh, uh, real corruption. But Guangxi is still very, very much into uh, the Chinese culture. And this means reciprocal obligation. So if I do something for you, you do something for me. This is very, very important. So if I give you a gift, you give me a gift back. If I introduce you to somebody, you introduce me to somebody back. So this is very, very important. And this um, process of reciprocal obligation is what we call social capital. Social capital is very important. So maybe I give a gift to you today, but maybe you introduce me to somebody tomorrow. And so therefore, this is the way it works. So the exchange of gifts and the exchange of favor is fundamental to the Chinese culture. And wine has a very, very important role to play in this context, because wine can be a fantastic uh, gift. But wine can also be a fantastic way for me to signal to you that you are important to me, that you are important to my Guangxi. And so therefore, We can see where this is going, and I will make my point a little bit more clear later. Fourth insight is that of signon. Signon means trustworthiness. How how trustworthy you are to fulfill your obligations. So, yes, uh, Andrea, I'm going to give you a gift. But do I trust that you will return me this favor? So before I give you a gift, I will think twice. Are you trustworthy? Okay, and of course, I know that you're trustworthy. (laughs) I mentioned it earlier, this is just an example. But people, before they give each other gifts actually, they will calculate, are you trustworthy? If I bring you in my network, in my Guangxi, are you going to honor my Guangxi, my network, or are you going to dishonor my network? And this is very, very important,
2: Head to italianwinepodcast.com from July 1st to the 31st and click the link. We thank you and back to the show.
0: And the key point about this is relationships. So Guangxi, as we saw, is a network. But the fundamental issue of Guangxi is is Sinyong, the relationship building that we are uh, uh, creating with each other. And this is a dynamic process, of course. But uh, how can this be applied in the wine industry? Today, unfortunately, many, many producers in Italy have a very bad chignon with Chinese. They have a very low trust level with Chinese. Why? Because many producers came into China, found an importer, and one year later left that importer and found another importer. And a year later, they did this again and again and again. So now, many, many importers in China don't trust Italian wine producers because in doing so, they have shown not only disrespect to the importer, but they have shown that they cannot be trusted because very often the the importer is left with the, the inventory and doesn't know what to do with this. And so this is a terrible thing to do If you want to build trust, uh, everything you do in China is being watched and studied by other people as well. The other thing is we need to consider is, how does my wine help my importer build trust with his clients, with his relationships? And this is very important. And it comes back to what I mentioned earlier about prestige, the luxury concept. So very often an importer will list your wine in their portfolio because your wine will give them signon to the rest of the portfolio. It will help them make the portfolio look good in the eyes of the other uh, of their clients, of their customers. And so if your wine does not have a good prestige back in Italy or back in Europe or in America, um, it will be difficult for the importer to feel that they should be trusting your wine to help them sell more of their other wine. And this is a very important relationship. So how will your brand help the importer gain uh, trust with their own client? This is also the other aspect of the relationship we need to consider. Insight number five. No, I apologize because I, I, I hear my voice going very fast. This is actually uh, a 30-minute summary of a two-hour masterclass that I conducted with Wine Meridian. So I'm trying to condense two hours of uh, uh, of this uh, webinar that I conducted before uh, in 30 minutes, and so it's uh, not easy. But I understand why Meridian has published this video on their, uh, somewhere on their social media or website. You can check it out if you're interested in the long version. The fifth insight is uh zi myang is very important because mm, this is, actually means status. myang is status. So if Guangxi is the network, a complex system of reciprocal obligation. If Xinyong is trust, Yangtze is status. And why is it important? Because status helps you to fulfill your obligation. No. Er, uh, Status helps you to um, build trust. Status helps you to demonstrate to the others that you are worthy of fulfilling your obligations. Okay, and that you actually help the person to create a better network. So status is very, very important in China. It's very important because uh, the general pyramid of hierarchy in China is very, very flat. And as we see, there are many, many, many people. And so if the uh, hierarchy is very flat, to go on top is very difficult because you need to beat many, many different people. And so status helps you to demonstrate your position in that flat hierarchy. It helps you to make yourself more trustworthy so that you are a worthy person to include in the Guangxi network. And so status is not only important for building Guangxi, but it's also very important to show the, the people how important uh, they are to you. Um, And so the best example of this is that when I invite a guest in China, and I serve them wine, um, they must automatically see that what I'm serving them is uh, important. Not only because it helps me to establish that I'm an important person, perhaps more important than you are, because you cannot afford this wine, I can afford it. So now we are establishing the hierarchy in our relationship. But at the same time, I'm showing you that you are important to me. And this is this is critical. By showing to the people that you are important to me, it means that now you owe me a big favor, basically. If I invite you in my network, me being more important, me being a higher in the hierarchy than you are, I invite you to my network. Now you better deliver on your obligations. And this is very, very important. And what's the implication for wine? It means that if your wine is not prestigious, I will not serve it to my guests. It comes back to what I said to you before. The core strategy to be successful in China is that of luxury. If you can make your wine prestigious worthy of a luxury product you have much more chance of success into the market in china because not only people cannot afford the wine but they will only buy on things that are prestigious but if your wine is prestigious it will help them build guangxi it will help them build trustworthiness and it will help them establish status and this is very very critical Because China is a very complex society, because it is a very immature society. Immature in consumer behavior, but also immature in the way they do things. And because China is a developing country, relationships are very, very important. Relationships are perhaps more important than a legal piece of paper. A contract may help you in China, But a relationship with someone important Or a good relationship with your partner Will be much more important and critical Than a piece of paper on a a contract can be And so I finish with two slides Very quickly The first one, I love this slide And this is a slide I showed To Wine to Wine five years ago About China This is the it shows the market share of luxury consumption by the chinese this is um uh, this was created by bain and company bain and company as you know is a consulting firm a very important consulting firm they advise alta lang, um uh, alta, uh alta, gamma, alta gamma alta gamma not alta langa but alta gamma you wow. see uh, <laughs> I have one in my mind, Altalag. But Al- Altagamma, as you know, Altagamma is, is a group of uh, very important uh, luxury brands of uh, Italy. And they predict that in 25, China will consume 45% of all luxury in the world. All luxury in the world. So then I know, looking at your eyes, you're saying, but J.C., If they have such low per capita income, why will they consume so much luxury? How can they afford it? This is perhaps the most important insight into the Chinese culture today. A Chinese person is extremely pragmatic. Even with their disposable income, they will spend it on something pragmatic. They will not spend it on something frivolous they will spend their disposable income on something that can bring them back something, like an investment. And so for them, luxury product is very, very important to give as a gift in order to build guangxi, reciprocal obligation. If I dress with a Giorgio Armani suit, I look very good to my network. I look trustworthy. Hmm? If I wear a Giorgio Armani suit, I establish my status with everybody in this group. So luxury consumption in China is very, very important because it has a pragmatic purpose, and this is how we need to understand the Chinese. Because in China, social capital is everything. So if you want to be successful, we need to sell a lifestyle like Sartori is doing in China. We do not sell wine, we sell lifestyle. We show the people that if they drink Sartori wine, if they drink your wine, their lifestyle will be improved. They will look sophisticated in the eyes of their friends. Their friends will start trusting them more as influencer, micro influencer Wow, this guy has a beautiful lifestyle. I should trust him to influence me. I should invite him to my network. Because I can trust that this guy is going to give me face, is going to make me look good, with the in the eyes of my other friends, and this is very very important. And I will finish with this to demonstrate to you my proof. There is a beautiful group called Arémi. Uh, I don't know if you know this group. It's called Arémi or Arémi. Uh, I don't have my glasses now. I'm sorry, I cannot see. But they—it's um, an interesting group of uh, people who have started a think tank on fine wine. So they publish many papers on the on the segment of fine wine in the industry, and they have asked Wine Intelligence, uh, a research company in the UK, to um, to help them uh, make a, a, a research on the perception of fine wine. What do people think is fine wine? And they ask Chinese people, what is your perception of a Grand Cru wine? What does that mean? If I tell you fine wine, if I tell you Grand Cru wine in your mind, what does that mean? And here we learn something very interesting. The top, top numbers, maybe you cannot read them so, oh yes, you can read them so quick, so clearly. 90% 90% of the Chinese population think that a fine wine comes from a famous region. 86% think that a fine wine is a wine with high ratings, high scores. 89% it's coming from a well-known wine maker. So if you take these three points together, what does that mean? It means miangzi, it means status. So for Chinese people, status is very important. So for them, a grand crew wine, a fine wine, wine, a fine wine is actually a wine with status. So if you want to be successful in China, you must ensure that your wine has status. And if your wine does not have status, at least sell only your best wine in China, not your cheapest wine. Many people in Italy think that, oh, in China, we need to sell wine at one euro a bottle. No, you go there to sell only your best wine. Now, let's look at more information. 90% think it improves with age. 89% think it's typical of the region. 88% think it's consistent over the years. 87 think it's made from a winemaker who has been making wine for many years in that winery. All this together is signon. Trust. I need to trust this wine for me to think it's a fine wine. For me to buy this wine, I need to trust that it will improve with age, that it is typical of its its region, that it is consistent in years. So you can see that even though the Chinese have, even though this survey was made in a totally independent from this presentation, we can tell very clearly that, in fact, Chinese people have a very high praise for status wine and trustworthy wine. And this is what China is about. We need to understand social stability. We need to understand that it's a Gambe culture. We need to understand that it's a Guangxi is the key because Guangxi gives you access. We need to understand that to build Guangxi, we need to have xinyong, trustworthiness. And to have better xinyong, we need to have miangzi status. When we have Guangxi uh, status, we can build trust. When we build trust, we build a Guangxi network. And we become successful. That means, just like you do in China, you show patience, you show respect to the peoples you work with, so they trust you you are selling the Italian lifestyle. So therefore, they feel that drinking your wine will enrich their lives. It helps them to look sophisticated in the in the eyes of their friends, and it helps them to... uh, The wheel of Guangxi uh, 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 begins. And so this is my presentation in 30 minutes instead of two hours. I don't know if any of you have questions, or maybe, Andrea, you have questions yourself to begin with. Well, I have a few comments,
1: and thank you anyway. I wish we were that good, JC. You know, we haven't sorted out China as
0: we like to. But but, this is the way I see it anyway.
1: But I think one critical part is that uh, if you agree with that, you you need locals. I mean, it's uh, good to have Italians doing the ambassador roles in China, but you still
0: need on your side Chinese people to work along with you. I agree. In fact, uh, what I have seen myself uh, in China, Italians are doing excellent work. But the Italians who uh, are the most effective in China are normally most likely married to a local lady they most likely have children in china and they are committed to the chinese culture as a a place where they want to establish roots not uh, uh, those uh, type of people that i've seen who are uh, opportunistic they come there to make a quick buck uh, and leave the country no uh, i agree with you so if you are going to go with an Italian person, at least somebody who can speak the language, somebody who is married to, uh, to the culture. This is much more important. Uh, otherwise, go with uh, a local person. Uh, local person now have greater and greater skills, um, and so this is uh, very, very, uh, very important.
1: I agree. Uh, question time. Anybody has? There you go.
0: Yes, five minutes. Okay, good. Five minutes, wonderful, Fanny.
2: <clears throat> so I have many questions I <laughs> will select. That. So you, I understood how important this is to have a good one But when we start, who will agree to link with us because we will never bring them anything back?
0: Uh, Do you I my did not question? hear so well. Uh, maybe for, for this question, you, I think you can right. remove the mask. Yes, okay. yes.
2: So is it it is better
0: to yes so.
2: I understood how this is important to have a good one. Mm-hmm. But when we start doing build, building business in um, in China, we don't know. Uh, we don't have a, a lots of networks. So who will agree to?
0: This is a very good question. In fact, many people ask me, how can I sell in China? I say to them, first, you are most likely friendly with other producers. And most likely in China, you have friends who are uh, already maybe selling in China or at least traveling often to China. So why don't you join them on a trip once? And then maybe these friends of yours in, in your country, in France or in Italy, they can then introduce you to somebody. And when you uh, uh, start to build relationships with people, you need to understand that you need to build Guangxi. So that means much reciprocal obligation. So uh, if they start to introduce you to somebody, you then maybe can extend a warm invitation to that person you meet in China. Please come and visit me. Ah, yes, okay. So if they come to visit you, then you give them the royal tour. You give them face. You give them a good time and so now, suddenly, you build Guangxi. And then after that, when you go back there, they invite you because they have to reciprocate, and they will invite you to a dinner with many other people. And then you make other friends, and then you, you do this kind of reciprocity. So we have to think of China as a step-by-step approach. This is very important. Thank you.
1: You need a lot of time to build the market. You yes. Know. Uh, the French actually got there after... 30, 40 years of yes. hard working. 30 years. Yeah, yeah, the French started to work along the Chinese market uh, along, like in the 60s and 70s. And the French, as usual, they started with the right food because the French started already with their more representative and, uh, and expensive and rare uh, wines yeah. versus Italians that, uh, as usual, they invaded the market with cheap wine. You yes, know, right. Like Eurobottle or something like that.
0: Be- because the French approach has always been, like I say, more sensitive, more em- empathetic. So cultural empathy, they understand protocol much better. They understand the concept of Guansi, Sinyong, and Yangtze much more uh, uh, carefully than, than Italians. Let's take uh, quickly uh, another question. Yes, yes, absolutely. In fact, today, this makes me laugh because, you know, a lot of young people today and we read the news, uh, that uh, uh, natural wine is a very big trend in china oh so we start thinking of the natural wine drinkers in china as we see them here in in uh, in, uh, in europe they are very passionate about wine they are very knowledgeable that they're very but in reality natural wine in china is a trend and so to look cool they need to drink natural wine and so if they look cool they look good in their network it helps them to enrich their status uh, with their network so this is this is all related to the same concept so at the end of the day as, as i mentioned chinese are very very pragmatic people so yes there is a subculture of people who really love wine in china there is there is no question about it but it's so tiny and the problem with these people I will tell you, frankly speaking, is that they are, they love wine so much that today they drink your wine, but tomorrow they drink his wine and the day after they drink my wine. There's a zero loyalty with these people because at this moment in their uh, uh, wine career, in their wine lover career, they are too curious. They want to try everything. And so, how can we build the market with this kind of situation? So, the approach of Guangxi is the same. So today they love natural wine, these young people, but because it makes them look cool, and they look cool in the eyes of their peers, and they gain Guangxi and they gain Cognac as a result, and they build Guangxi as a result. And so young people are no different than than older generation for sure.
1: And it shows that curiosity shows in the market because French, after dominating for decades the chinese market they lost a lot of market share versus the australians the australians basically took half of the market as yes. a french because they had a more modern and trendy approach than the french which was appealing a lot to newer generations yes so it's not a stable market by far you know you have to consider that you're always yes. moving around always changing so it's not a stable market at all
0: no But prestige is the key. In China, they don't need to drink wine. They want to drink wine. And so if they want it, they are looking for the idea of wine. They're not looking for the the taste of wine. Last question, no? Okay, grazie. Grazie. Thank you so much. Thank you. I hope uh, you found this insightful. And thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Thank you, Andrea. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much.